Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Bill Lake. Welcome to More Than a Club podcast, episode two. I'm Bill Leahy, joined here today by my sidekick, Coach Marty Cuprian of Next. Welcome, Coach Coop. Thanks, Bill. I'm excited to uh, get back here on the podcast, have a couple guests rolling in today, Coach Peter Lawrence and also Coach Kate Henwood for our next episode. I spent my weekend coaching youth lacrosse. It was a blast. The weather was great. Some teams won some games. We lost some games and excited to get into the podcast today. Welcome, Coach. Glad you could be with us. Excited to be here. Fired up. Coming off the top rope. <laughs> this one's going to be fun, folks. Hold on tight. As we get going with our podcast, it is my hope to follow a similar format each response. Primarily an introduction, then followed by three quick, almost rapid-fire themes. One surrounding youth sports, maybe a hot topic in today's youth sports. An X and O segment, Insight of the Week. Then a chat for today's players on how to be a good teammate or a little culture building. We will then drift into our special guest segment, and today we're lucky to have Coach Lawrence with us. And then Coach will offer some, some homework, some tidbits for players, parents, and coaches, and we'll just enjoy our conversation on these topics, and we're glad to have you with us today, Coach. Coach Coop, how about youth sports today? All right, our youth sports hot topic for parents in this episode is going to be how you handle adversity that your kids have to face. Uh, the reason I wanted to talk about this topic Coming out of a tournament weekend, it's just so different, the perspective that I may have as a club coach and director than what a player may have and really what a parent may have, just standing there as a spectator, taking it all in, um, but also being the, the transportation and uh, the, you know, the financial backer for the athlete. So I spent some time thinking about the equation Coach Leahy mentioned in our first podcast, E plus R equals O. And I really just want to talk about that with you guys as parents. So, Bill, if you could just help us with the E plus R equals O and give us some more background there, and then we'll talk more about how you guys respond as sports parents when your kid has a tough day. Thanks, Coach. Sure, happy to do so. E plus R equals O is a formula founded by Tim Kite, and it's really titled The R Factor. I was introduced to this theory by Nick Myers, the head coach of Ohio State, when he was the head coach of the under-19 USA team, and I was fortunate to be an assistant. And Tim Kite had the chance to come speak to us um, multiple times, and we kept a little journal on the, on the formula, E plus R equals O, and it simply follows as this. The E stands for the events that happen in your life. This could be in your team. This could be in your life. We don't always have control over those events. But we need to be mindful that they're happening, mindful that they're hard. But what really matters is the R, and that is how we respond. So E plus R, R is your response to this event. And you respond one of two ways, to keep it simple. You either respond above the line or below the line. And responding above the line is honest, forthright, responsible. It's hard. It's difficult. But it's growth-oriented. Below the line is weak. It's not true. It's easy, um, and it's really our human nature at many times just to take the easy way out or below the line. That equals the outcome. So if you cons consistently choose below-the-line behaviors, your outcome are not going to be what, what you want, and you will not be moving in, toward a growth factor. So E plus R equals O is a way to behave on the sidelines, on the field, in the classroom, at home, in your marriage. Many of today's companies follow this formula. Um, Tim Kite has a podcast in which he gets into it in great detail. And of course, he was almost a spiritual director to Nick Myers and to Urban Myers, the football coach. So it's some really great 
great stuff on how to behave, how to act under stressful situations. That's great. I think really awesome resource for our parents to talk more about, learn more about, and really just be more aware of their response and how it affects their kids and their team. And um, for me, I just, I just want us to be more aware of it. And I have a unique relationship with Coach Lawrence. Uh, he's a mentor. He's my boss. But I also get to coach his son. And I've seen him be a coach. I've seen him be a club director. And I've also gotten to work with him as a parent. So I thought it would be interesting to ask Peter, you know, how does it feel to be a sports parent when your, your child or your child's team is crushing it and doing really well, as opposed to having a, a really tough day and, and things aren't going so well? Yeah, it can be a struggle at times, you know. Uh, it's not easy to watch your kid fail. Um, so uh, like you said, I wear, you know, multiple hats. Sometimes I'm the coach, but sometimes I'm the dad too. And it's not easy to always get in the car. And uh, I want to talk about situations. And uh, my son or daughter uh, don't want to relive, uh, you know, their game day experience, which I, I find that to be like healthy. Um, but that's, again, more of the college coach in me, more than probably the parent. Um, you know, and I think just like you said, uh, Coop, I just think like even this, you know, weekend, we experienced some adversity with our high school teams. Um, and I think, you know, adversity reveals character. And um, I think it's it's good to be humbled. You know, we, we played some really good teams, um, you know, and you really see kids uh, true colors, like you said, parents true colors. Uh, you know, we got our butts kicked by a FCA Maryland team of MIA All-Stars. I was telling Coach Leahy, and um, I think that is uh, a healthy part of the process, and it's good to experience that. Like, we don't want to be afraid to play the best teams and, and kind of not be able to learn from that because now that shapes our practice this week, and we exposed some things, and it wasn't just all on the players. Us as coaches have to do a better job of, you know, preparing them for those, some of those scenarios, and now we'll be able to better do that in practice. And so that way the next time we see them, uh, maybe we get a little bit closer. I like it. I agree. And it, it really came to me. One of our teams had a, a tough, winless morning. They were young kids. Every team they faced was more prepared, more talented. And for me, it was a healthy benchmark of, yeah, that was a tough day, but – man, am I motivated to get back to work with that team and do we have work to do? So I think if adversity hits your children in youth sports, you know, they're, they're going to have to find ways to deal with that and, and they're going to have harder things in their life to deal with. So um, for parents at, a, at an event, keep things in perspective, be supportive and, and realize that your response matters. So moving on from our, you know, four parent topic there, uh, we're going to transition to Coach Leahy and Coach Lawrence really uh, a coaching point, you know, some, some insights for our coaches out there. And uh, Bill, take it away. Thanks, Coach. So our X and O insight segment of the week, I'd like to focus on a core fundamental that I think sometimes goes taken for granted, I guess is a better term, and that is just basic stick work. You know, when you look at the basic fundamentals of being a good lacrosse player, they almost all fall in the area of stick work when you're starting out. Whether that's ground balls, that's a result of poor stick work. Shooting, that's a result of good stick work. But along the way, there's little steps to this core fundamental. And your team will be more successful. You'll be more successful as a player, especially the little guys. It starts with your stick. Is it a functioning stick? I know Coach Henwood, who will be our next guest, she has the girls make sure they know how to string a stick. That was almost basic principle at Cockeysville Youth Lacrosse back in the day, that you would take your sticks home and you would string both of them. That was your stick, your magic. 
you make sure it worked. You got a lesson when you were a little guy on what a shooting string is and what a stopper, how that works. And um, from there, it, how you hold your stick matters. You know, from there, the throwing motion matters. At the end of the day, there's an there's a aspect of every sport that is more important than the others, kind of the greatest among the equals. So if you look at a hockey player, it, it's great to have a slap shot and to be able to body check. But if you can't ice skate, you can't play ice hockey very well. Basketball, it sure helps to be tall. I mean, all the other skills matter. Being a great dribbler matters. Having a great jump shot matters. But being tall is an advantage over all the other aspects because you probably can do all those other things well as well too. When it comes to lacrosse, catching and throwing really well, I think, is a defining factor which makes you and your team simply just better. Um, and then stick work's contagious as well. It's interesting at the high school level to watch one gentleman throw a bad pass. Player A throws a bad pass to player B. But player B has to bend down low to his knees to catch it. We are already off task here. He catches it in a bad position, and then he can't correct himself in time without pressure arriving to bring his stick back to the triple threat position to throw to player C. So he throws from one knee. He throws from, from bent over. And now it's five feet off, and the fourth pass goes out of bounds. That disease started with the original poor pass. So at LaSalle for many years, anybody who knows me would think I was nuts, but we were very mindful about our stick work, and that was the word we used. So you threw strikes to your teammate, and your teammates held you accountable. They said yes. Yes meant that was on target, and I didn't have to move my stick to catch it. No means that wasn't good enough. And they weren't talking down to their teammate. They were just holding their teammate accountable, really the team accountable, that I need a better pass than that for this to be a functioning offense, for this to be a functioning fast break. And so if you got a, a no from a teammate, it was one push-up. And, and the guys got to the point where they knew when they threw the ball, they would just look over and there was a push-up. So no coach has to say anything. No teammate has to say anything. They just know. And by the time you roll around to late in the season in May, your stick works awesome, which means your, your teamwork is great. Your offense is good. Your clearing's much better. So I just think it's a primary X and O principle. Um, coach, how do you feel as a college, former college coach? Confidence is the word that I think of. Um, I think if you are afraid, you know, to try and be dynamic and use your left hand uh, at the youth level, the high school level, uh, even the college level, that comes in practice, you know. And if you're afraid to try things because you're afraid of failure in practice, well, we know you're never going to try it on game day. You know, I witnessed that again this weekend where you're going, man, if that guy had just cut with his left hand, he was wide open, that would have been an easy finish. But he tried to make a really tough play because he doesn't have the confidence to put his stick in his left hand. Um, and so he's trying to do something that even John Grant would have trouble doing, you know. And you're going, well, you're not John Grant, um, you know. And so I, I think there's a little bit of the culture in youth sports of, like, the, the afraid to fail. I have to look great in practice. Um you know, and I, I won't look cool around my buddies, so I don't try and become more dynamic. I don't try and, you know, get out of my comfort zone and work on my left hand. You know, again, assuming 80% of the kids are right-handed, I, that's, but regardless, you're offhand, and I just think there's this culture of, like, afraid to try, and so I just see a ton of kids that are very one-dimensional, um, you know, whereas, I like you, refer to Cockeysville the same as, you know, my coaches, it was, you know, whatever you do with your right hand, you do with your left hand. And I, I think that is maybe faded a little with coaches because now they're the Lyle Thompsons, you know, I, I, I saw kids trying to take backhand shots this weekend when you're going, man, like 
Why not just use your left right there? You're not you're not Lyle Thompson. Like maybe he can do that, but but that took him years. Like you saw that on the stage when he was, you know, playing in an NCAA game against Loyola and it was his third year in college. Like I don't know if he was doing that when he was a sophomore in high school. You're now attempting that as a sophomore in high school, having not mastered some of the other skills. Um, and so I, I see that as a little bit. It, it's a good thing because I think kids are a little bit more creative now, and, and that, so that is a positive. But um, I agree with you. I just think there's a little bit lack of uh, fundamentals. Yeah, and fundamentals aren't always fun. So you have to bear down, and coaches, we have to find creative ways to make stick work fun, make it interesting. You know, two quick fun stories that come to mind was I ran into a gentleman who played at West Jenny. We had mentioned a little bit this last episode. I said, boy, I'd like to pick your brain. What was it like to play for coach, a Hall of Fame coach back in the day? He said, well, first in the fall, Tuesdays and Thursdays were offhand days completely. The entire practice, offhands. And Saturdays, we played against the older guys. So if you're a freshman, you got a full dose of playing juniors and seniors in the West Jenny gym. I thought they were pretty good stories. Like yeah. talk about fundamentals and coach, coach old Masseur, school yeah. saying this is the way we're going to do it. He also praised coach for learning how to handle bad passes, that they would do stick work drills where bad passes were thrown on purpose so that you would have to catch it in a bad spot, recorrect yourself to a good spot, and then stop the disease and throw a strike to your teammate. You know, it was pretty neat to hear old school drills, old school coaching. And the second was my boy, Matt Rambo. I left him a message a couple weeks ago, just finally got a return call. And he was explaining to me that he's been in Scotland helping the youth and that he was taking a much needed break before box. And as we hung up the end of our conversation, I said, what are you up to? Where are you off to? And he said, shooting, I'm going out to shoot on the high school field three days a week. So even when you're Matt Rambo and I remember it was an all lefty, now he's all both feeder and shooter at this level, at this age, one of the best players, if not the best in the world, still getting out there in a form of stick work three days a week to shoot the rock. So pretty good stuff. Thanks for that segment, coach. Great. So uh, we touched on it there, accountability of the players uh, to be a great teammate and really to be a difference maker. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more now again, for players of how to be a great teammate uh, with some lessons from Coach Leahy and the New Zealand All Blacks. Yeah, culture building is a big part of having a successful team. Again, another major lesson I learned from Nick Myers at Team USA. You had guys from all over the country, from all different kinds of schools, and there was a way that we had to come together and, and be a team that represented our nation. And so we spent an awful lot of time culture building. And I carried that over to LaSalle and, and realized that was something missing um, in kind of my new generation, if I was going to coach these new guys, I had to have a better way of us getting to know one another and get off our cell phones a little bit. And so one of the books that I read was about the New, new Zealand All Blacks, the winningest sports organization in the world over the past 100 years with a w- winning percentage of 75%. And yet they were still unhappy and they realized that some things just weren't going right, especially in the areas of discipline and uh, how they treated one another and the image that they had throughout the nation. And so they dedicated themselves to looking at how to change. And the changes they made weren't in the X and O's of of rugby. It was in culture building. And they found a new mantra. And that mantra was better people make better all blacks. That they needed an improvement in their culture. There was an 11% winning increase when they applied five basic culture building principles. Which number one was we don't need the best players anymore. 
We don't need to have the best rugby players in the world. In fact, that might be a liability. And they came up with five interesting kind of nationalistic, staying with the culture of uh, New Zealand. If you've ever seen them begin their, their haka, I believe that's how you say it, before an event. It's a call upon the ancient spirits before battle as they face their opponent. This is kind of wild. It gives you the chills. I'm always ready to run through a glass wall after I, I watch them stare down Australia. However, when they come to speak at Harvard Business School and many other major companies, they point out these five principles. We're just going to talk a little bit about the first one, and we'll get to the others another day. But the first is they sweep the shed. The second is they follow the spearhead. The third is champions do the extra. The fourth principle of their rebuild was to keep a blue head versus a red head. And five, to leave the jersey in a better place. So sweeping the shed is one that we applied at LaSalle, especially Coach Tony Resch, who was excellent at this. And the idea is that you will take pride in your small workspace. That space may be the field. It may be the bench. It may be the locker room. Not only will you take pride in it and keep it organized, but you also keep it clean as a sense of humility and humbleness. Specifically, the All Blacks say, before leaving the dressing room at the end of the game, some of the most famous names in world rugby stop and tidy up after themselves. They literally and figuratively sweep the shed. Former All Black Andrew Mertens describes it as an example of personal humility, a cardinal All Black value. Though it might seem strange for a team of imperialist dominance, humility is core to their culture. The All Blacks believe that it's impossible to achieve stratospheric success without having your feet firmly planted on the ground. Any thoughts, coaches? Sweep the shed. Uh, we, we, I didn't use that phrase this weekend, but you know, one of the things that drives me uh, crazy uh, right in the youth sports culture is how many water bottles and trash is left behind. And it's like, you know, it's nobody's job to pick up after the players. And I don't even think the parents should have to do it. They're already, you know, doing enough. And so um, I always make it a point, you know, to try and leave the sideline cleaner than we got it. And a lot of times team prior to us, you know, on the sideline didn't pick up after themselves. And, you know, the you'll hear the rumblings under their voice. Hey, this this is these aren't our water bottles. This wasn't our trash. It was here. It's like, well, it's all right. We're going to leave it better than we found it, you know. Um, and so um, I think that culture stuff, uh, like you're saying, uh, that you did with Team USA and LaSalle, you know, we're trying to do a little of, um, you know, in the club environment. You know, the difference is, is we don't have them every single day like a high school team would or a college team would, you know. So when you only get them one day a week for practice and, you know, for some tournaments, the, the relationships and the, the culture, I think, um, takes a little bit more time, but it's something we're working on definitely in our in our next club, especially with the high school boys, and I'm sure with the youth kids too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hope our kids are listening. Um, and then one thing with Coach Lawrence is, I remember the Philly Showcase from the first time I met you, we would be cleaning that place at Episcopal until the sun went down and then some. Uh, we'd be doing victory laps to clean the field a second and third time. <laughs> Campus was so beautiful there and pristine that we were, we were on a tight leash, uh, but also I, I learned Coach Lawrence's uh, sense of pride in you know, um, leaving it better than you found it. And I've seen you drag your kids around the golf cart and, and make them be a part of it as well. So thanks to Finn and Rowan and Emery who've cleaned up some fields with me as well. I put Emery to work this week and I had her fixing cones and she was on the golf cart at Harvest and I was the last one to leave there. So uh, More than a club, more than as a club. we say. 
And then the, the other touch point there for me is bluehead versus redhead. And that's something that really resonates with me. Again, as a club director and a youth coach, you know, am I above the line right now or am I teetering or am I below the line? And I think those are um, phrases and topics that we'll hit on again. And right now we're going to ask Coach Law some questions and really hear more about his background and how he got um, his family here to Philadelphia, a little bit more of history of next and um, really some perspective type questions. So Coach Lawrence, I introduced a little bit in our first uh, pilot episode. Um, I've, I've introduced here as a mentor for me. He was a 13-year head coach at the University of Hartford. Um, I think he took that program from a winless season to a couple NCAA tournament appearances. Um, he is a co-founder of Next and currently serves as the president. He also runs our high school club lacrosse program and a lot of our elite training programs in the Philadelphia area. Uh, so, Coach Law, anything I missed from your resume there you want to share? No, I mean, I, I definitely had um, some stops, you know, um, and, and I think, as we all know, with education and growing as a coach, it's uh, every place you go, you spend a little time, whether it's the great coaches you're around, uh, like you said, you know, mentors I've had that have inspired me, um, or just different uh, camps, colleges that I've worked at, you know. My start was uh, at Top Gun Lacrosse Camp. Uh, Burke Walker, um, you know, son Justin Walker, who runs uh, the Fighting Clams, was a high school teammate of mine, and um, we played in a summer league game on Cape Cod. And afterwards, he's like, "Hey, you know, what are you doing? Like, really developed as a player? You should, you know, work one of my camps." And I was like, "Oh, okay. Like, I'll try that." And um, you know, fell in love with it. And, th and that's kind of how I started was that Top Gun, and then Powell Camps and. Uh, Whittier College and UNH and Elmira College and you know um, and I always say and I was telling the story of someone the other day is I, I always thought I was going to be a hockey player you know if you grow up in Boston um, you know you grow up playing hockey and um, if it wasn't for uh, Sean O'Neill who played at Princeton who was one of my high school coaches and Robbie Robinson who played at Harvard two real smart guys and um, just uh, were great high school coaches and uh, that experience having them as mentors and uh, just uh, put me on a different path to want to play uh, college lacrosse even though my whole life I had always said oh, I want to be a college hockey player and I don't think if I didn't have them as high school coaches that uh, I'd be sitting here with you guys right now I, you know I might have probably pursued hockey so um, you know that's kind of a little bit of my background. I'm picturing Happy Gilmore but only because I know you're a Boston fan. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And you like to have fun. Yeah. Um, but your game was probably more respectable than that. Um, tell us about, about your game as a player. Oh, um, as a lacrosse player, um, I would say, like my wife usually says, um, you know, when I go out, uh, don't hurt anyone and, and don't get hurt. It's, it's definitely a physical brand of lacrosse. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but I think um, part of the reason I love uh, coaching lacrosse and I've always been drawn to it is I just think it's, um, as I said in an email, it's such a complex game, you know, compared to, you know, other sports. I really think it takes all the elements of hockey and, you know, basketball and soccer and those were sports that I loved growing up and really rolls those all into one. And it's, it's a real challenge. It's hard to master, and, and I don't think you ever really do. I don't feel like I've mastered at this point. I feel like every time I go to a convention or I, you know, hear Coach Leahy talk or we're just X on like can always be learning and growing. And um, 
that I think is what has kind of drawn me to the sport of lacrosse. That and the the relationships I think are special, you know. Um, and, and I think as we say too, I think uh, there's always the origins, you know, and the, the Native American roots and that kind of that uh, spirituality around it is, uh, you know, something I'm drawn to as well. Great. Um, in your role when you were at Hartford and next was uh, getting started in Philadelphia, I got some texts and feedback from parents from the first episode. They loved hearing the story of, of really how we came to be a legitimate organization and, and really start to change lives. So um, from your perspective, you know, what was that start like for next? And, you know, what was your role um, just to share with our listeners? Yeah, next was a side hustle. You know, I was focused on being a Division One lacrosse coach. And um, I think in my role as a coach, you're always out at recruiting events and you're going to camps and you're, you know, trying to find a way to make a living. Um, and I think you get to see how, you know, people were running events and showcases. And I always, you know, came away from a lot of those things that when I was working for other people, like this can be done better. You know, it can be more professional. Um, and, and I think that is, um, you know, how Next kind of came to be, is that um, we took those lessons of what we were seeing um, and, you know, tried to improve upon them and, and give people a better experience. And, um, yeah, you know, here we are years later and, um, you know, got out of college coaching three years ago and, and now do this full time. And I have no regrets and I love what I'm doing. And, you know, I think you say uh, change lives. And I think... Um, you know, there's a ton of great college coaches, you know, that are making a huge impact. But I feel like the impact I'm making, you know, is actually far greater because I just think, um, you know, there's a there's a greater need for uh, good coaches and good people who are doing things the right way uh, at the youth level. Whereas I know like the college game is in great hands because there are so many people that are passionate about it. But and I, and I think we're starting to see that like trickle down. Um, but I think there needs to be more and more um, because you know, club lacrosse is growing, you know, it's just the nature of the beast. And so, um, you know, we need more and more good people, um, working with the youth. How did you find the transition from college across to club lacrosse? Anything surprise you? I mean, I, I, I'm so competitive and, um, you know, I, I need to learn to be more patient. I wouldn't say I've mastered it by any means yet. You know, um, I absolutely, uh, need to tone it down a little. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, for every age group you work with, you know, there's a, a kind of a different uh, level of expectation in terms of like the coach's behavior. And so I feel like, well, you know, uh, the high school kids is, you know, a little bit more accountability and there's there's running and there's conditioning and there's push ups. And like, that's OK, like that. They need to learn that to be prepared because that's what it's going to be like at the next level. Um, and, you know, you got to be able to pick kids up, but there needs to be some um you know, uh, negative feedback too. Like, you know, I was calling kids out this weekend. I'm like, that can't be your best effort. Like, you know, um, and I, you know, I, I, I know moms and dads are listening, you know, cause they're only 10 yards behind and they're probably going, Oh my God, coach Lawrence is all over my son right now. And, um, but I think they haven't uh, seen anything yet. Yeah. They want to play college across. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, and I'm, this is the mild me, right? This isn't the college coaching me. I've, I, I've, I've toned it down some, but again, I think every level you go down, you get to the middle school kids. It's like, all right, you know, there's probably not as many, you know, or there's no expletives. Whereas maybe with the high school kids, it's like, Hey, there's, there's some words that I know you've all heard, um, you know, and I'm not happy right now. Um, and you know, you go down with like the, 
27s and 29s and you go man this is just about putting smiles on kids faces and let's have a lot of fun and like you know Coop and you were saying like it's all perspective of what they age and where they're at um but yeah I, I I need to work on my patience and realize um sometimes I just expect that someone's already coached them to know that because I expected that when I got them at college but now I'm going you know what maybe maybe I need to take a step back nobody maybe has taught that kid that that I I'm assuming that kid should know that skill Maybe I just need to pull them aside and teach them that skill because nobody's ever had that conversation with them. Um, and so that's probably the biggest adjustment. Yeah, it sounds like the biggest challenge too on the field. How about off the field and being a director of a major uh, company in youth sports? What's the biggest challenge running next sports down here at the shipyard? We like to try and be like Switzerland. You know, I want to be friends. <laughs> I want to be friends with everybody. Um, I'm not out to get anybody, um, but I don't know if everybody wants to be friends with us. You know, um, but I find, um, you know, that the best approach, um, you know, is to extend an olive branch to everybody and, and, and feel that, you know, uh, there's ways we can help um, people and, and competition's healthy and we're going to compete on the field and maybe in the event space or whatever it may be. But it doesn't mean we can't be friends and have respect for each other. And I think, um, you know, tomorrow night's a good example, like right where we're, we're going to have the, the recruiting night tomorrow night. Um, and I reached out to every single club in the area, and it's like uh, Coach Jambroni is a friend of mine. You know, I reached out and said, hey, will you come and talk? And it's like, well, why does, why does him and Coach Mercante need to come and just talk to our next families? Why not? Why can't it be the Fusion families and the Rough Riders and the, the Dukes and the Mesas? Um, and not everybody wants to come. Um, it's not every single club represented, but there's a lot. And um, I just feel like if you're going to have two great college coaches speaking about college recruiting, why wouldn't everybody want to hear that? Why, why only our families get to benefit from that? And I think that's just a small example. Uh, you know, I'm a believer in like, you know, you bring people together, not um, try and isolate yourself. Native founding fathers would be, be proud of that answer, <laughs> right? Breaking bread together, playing lacrosse, all good stuff, Coach. Thanks. Coach Law, for current high school guys that are thinking about playing college, uh, what's what's the advice that you're feeding those guys or uh, the feedback that you're giving some of those guys as they come off, off the field or as they practice with us at Next, um, both from knowing them from this side and also being a guy that sat in that chair and evaluated? Yeah, I think, um, you know, our guys need to be more committed, you know, if they want to achieve their goals. I think, uh, you know, the players in this area, rightfully so, have very high aspirations. You know, there's a lot of great players that have come before them. They play in, uh, you know, great high school programs. Um, I think they need to own the process. Um, you know, uh, the less they let their parents do and the more they take on for communicating with their high school coaches, their club coaches, uh, reaching out to college coaches. Um, I, I think it's easy to you know, let mom and dad take control of some of that. And, um, you know, that's something I think a lot of them have to work on in our club and I'm sure in others. Um, and I think the last one is obviously academics, you know, at, at the end of the, the first call, the first question every coach asks, it's like, I know they've all heard it, you know, is like, well, let me see your transcript. What are your grades? What's your SAT or ACT scores? You know, and you, you can't go back and undo you know, that D your freshman year, it, it lives forever on your transcript or that one C that you're going, oh, I, I could have done better. Well, do better. You know, um, if you want to, if you aspire to go to some of these great academic institutions, um, you know, your grades matter. And so um, 
some of the guys are putting in a great effort on the field. They probably need to match that effort in the classroom. And then there's some guys that are doing, a, a, you know, amazing things in the classroom and probably didn't need to match some of that effort, you know, on the wall, like we're saying, with their stick skills and or maybe their footwork, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think those would be uh, the message I would have. As a D1 coach, was there a major misstep that you saw young men make along the recruiting process? I don't fault anybody for going for it, you know. Um, I saw a lot of kids crash and burn at, at both Hartford, um, you know, and at other, you know, uh, Division One programs that I maybe recruited. Um, but I think it's better to have failed than to, like, have never tried and have that regret and always be, like, your whole life going, man, I wonder if I could have played Division One, um, and you just never gave it a shot. But I think the biggest thing that, you know, I would say for anybody, um, you better love the weight room, right? Like Division One lacrosse is about loving the weight room. And, and if you don't love to run and you don't love to lift, you might love the lacrosse part. And there's a lot of great places where you can go and still be very, very happy and play great lacrosse and have great coaches and have a great experience. Um, but I think the, the separator for me that I learned of, of making the same step, right? Going from a, being a Division three head coach where the weight room was important. Um, the, the culture is, hey, we have full-time strength. And this is what they get paid for, right? Like we, the school's invested, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in these weight rooms, whereas at most Division three schools, some of them have, you know, facilities like that, but most of them probably don't have, you know, the, the staff like a Division one you know, program has. And so those, those athletic trainers, those strength coaches, it's like, they want a piece of your guys, and like it, it's good for them. And I think, like we're saying, it also reveals character. Like you know, the you really find out who are committed um, and who the all-in guys are, and you know, it, it separates the men from the boys. And um, that would be one of the biggest things I learned about being a Division One lacrosse coach is that you know, when in the recruiting process, if there's a guy that's just loves lacrosse and he might be a lax rap, but he doesn't like a lot of times that kid crashes and burns, you know. Um, and I had plenty of kids that were high school Americans that were great lacrosse players, and they quickly learned, well, hold on, what? We're going to be in here at 5 o'clock in the morning today? Like, we're tomorrow, next day we're here in here again? Like, what? Like, um, and, then, and now we're running, and, like, we're doing all this, and we go, when do we play lacrosse? It's like, well, we do that, but we do a lot of this too. And so I think that's a, a separator for a lot of kids. Yeah, well said. Know what you're signing up for, right? Yeah. Full-time job. Absolutely. Uh, Peter, my last question would be, do you have any, you know, major concerns or see any changes to come or, or things that are on the horizon with youth sports or the youth lacrosse industry um, that are worth talking about today? It's not all about winning. You know, I think we try and stress in our club, you know, player development, um, you know, winning to me um, at the youth age is inspiring these kids to love to keep playing and, and make great friends and have great memories. And Winning to me at, you know, the high school age uh, is about finding your, you know, dream fit, you know, college. Uh, that's winning. Like, you know, no, no college coach cares this weekend, you know, uh, who won a game at the Terp Classic. They, you know, they're watching two teams. They just want to see a competitive game. And winning is just like today when I'm getting emailed, um, you know, from Division One college coaches going, hey, what's the deal with this guy? Like, I, I got some of those emails today. I had some of those conversations, you know, um, that is winning in this process, you know. Um, but I think too many people are so worried about, you know, 
uh, who won this tournament, who won that. And like, you know, we're, you know, they're sixth graders, they're fifth graders. Like, um, you know, it's a path, it's a process. Like, as we like to say here in Philly, right? Trust the process. Thanks, coach. You were really great. We're having a little fun with you now. A little rapid fire next homework with Coach Law. I'll say player or parent or coach, and you give a little homework assignment for each of our groups. Sounds good. You're on a shot clock. You got 30 seconds. 30 seconds. (laughs) Player homework assignment. What do you got? I think we talk a lot about goal setting. I just don't think enough people actually write them down. I would challenge, uh, you know, youth players out there, write your goals down, put them in your phone, put them somewhere you get a look at them. Parent homework assignment. Deep breath uh, every day and just realize um, you don't have to worry about keeping up with the Joneses. I think, you know, kids commit at different times. Um, You know, enjoy the process. Enjoy the time you have with your kids. Um, But you don't have to worry about your neighbor committed a year before you. Uh, It all ends up working out in the end. For today's coaches, coaching homework? Commit to creating a playbook. You know, my playbook uh, over all my years of coaching is, you know, got to be, I don't know, uh, 10 to 12 inches thick at this point. You know, and a lot of stuff, I wish it was a little more organized. I'm always jamming things in there, but I, I think that's uh, a resource that every coach should have. And you keep every note, every diagram, every little drill, anything you've ever like created, you keep it in one spot. So true. What are you reading these days? My goal for this uh, calendar year was to actually read six books. Um, right now, I am reading uh, It's Good to Be Here uh, by uh, Richie Moran. So uh, the first time Hartford made the NCAAs, we played Cornell. Um, I never thought Coach Moran would remember me. Ran into him at the convention in Baltimore, I think, three years ago. Walk up, you know, and he's, I remember you, Pete Lawrence. You did such a great job with Hartford, blah, blah, blah. And you know, uh, gave me a handwritten copy or signed a nice note in the cover of the book. And, um, you know, I didn't actually get around until I challenged myself. And so um, I got about 100 pages left on that. I'm reading The Immigrant Edge as well. I went to a convention with my wife, um, a real estate convention a year ago. Um, speaker was this guy who wrote this book, The Immigrant Edge. So I like to read a couple books at the same time. Um, and then the last one I just read was um, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. A good one. Um, yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, it's just the, the whole perspective, you know. So those are three that, two I'm working on that I should be done with here uh, fairly soon and, and, and one that I um, finished not that long ago. So, Coach, thanks. It was great to have you with us. Your insights were special. We look forward to having you back in the future. Coach Coop, I'll turn it over to you to bring us home. All right. Thanks to our listeners for the first few episodes here. Our next guest on the next episode will be Kate Henwood, our VP of Next Girls Lacrosse and also a former Division I lacrosse coach and a former state championship winning high school head coach. So we are signing off from the Navy Yard in Philadelphia. Thank you. <laughs>